Welcome to WDFG, Dear Final Girl Radio, the advice and horror podcast where life problems have an answer. Now here are your hosts, Lori and Tamara. Hello, Final Girl. Hello, Final Girl. I feel like we're both tired. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's Friday, Junior. <laughs> yes, it is Friday, Junior. Thank God. Yeah. Uh, but... I am ready to, I, you ever get so tired where even when you are at home, you just say, I just want to go home. Yes. Oh my God. That is fantastic. Yes. What I, the way I was experiencing it yesterday is I felt like a piece of cardboard. Like I felt two dimensional. Like I was just a flat thing. Yeah on the sofa Mm -hmm. and you know I kept thinking of that line from Jack Black and Tropic Thunder where he's like my skin hurts you know it's like I'm just like my skin my skin is tired yeah (laughs) just let me go yeah I'm like um about 36 hours away from a vacation and so I'm just holding on yep until Saturday morning and hopefully packing somewhere in there. Right. So I'm excited for you guys. Thanks. We're going to Hawaii. It's it's a big deal. Um, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. It is a big deal. Um, this is has nothing to do with the podcast, but my dad is an Ironman and he made it to the nationals in Kona, and so we will be going to watch him, and it's very exciting. And her dad is awesome. Held your dad. 66. I mean, this man is like, yeah, he's just like, well, it's because he's an iron man. Yeah. (laughs) It's because he's like, has, he's like a hummingbird. And I think that if he didn't do things like this, he would just tear the house up. Yeah. This is like his sugar water, basically. He's just going to feed (laughs) when he does this event. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, but the uh, the opposite of that is this movie. It's this is quite the movie to be discussing when you're exhausted. I mean, watching it will make you exhausted. Yeah. Um, the movie that we are speaking of is Cosmopolis, twenty twelve. Uh, David Cronenberg. Yeah. Um, I guess one of, you know, like Robert Pattinson's first sort of serious role after Mm -hmm. Twilight. And I actually looked it up. This movie was released in August of 2012. And the final Twilight movie, like Breaking Dawn Part 2 or whatever Mm -hmm. it was, Mm -hmm. came out in November of 2012. So this actually came out like a few months before the final Twilight movie. And guy, I just... Yikes. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't know how, I mean, I understand this is a very serious movie about very serious topics. And as you put it before, uh, it's a lot of talking, which means that it feels like, what, what did you say before? I said, it's like a Quentin Tarantino movie, like, but not as fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Uh, Just dialogue, 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 dialogue. Yeah, yeah. And uh, 
I don't know. There must have been, I think it was intentional how fake everything felt. Yeah. It definitely, like, they didn't, there wasn't a, like, forced verisimilitude, right? Where it was almost like the, um, the pictures that are happening outside of the limo uh, at times are supposed to look really fake. Like they took like 1950s. Yes. I was thinking that too. And just to back up a little bit. So lately we've been doing just some sort of like current, current events, you Uh know, and even though this movie's from 2012, it's like, I mean, greed, capitalism, the world gone crazy, you know, mm-hmm. it felt, it's, it felt very timely. It did not feel dated. I did not think that, it, but so we, we are sort of char- characterized this as like, you know, capitalist horror, if you will. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> should we do a little, should we do some sort of summary? Yeah. I mean, this, this has a fantastic cast. Oh my gosh, it does. I mean, it, it really does. And each because of the way the story is told you know each of these great actors like you know they're 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 spotlighted you know with the way that the Mm -hmm. movie is structured so i can attempt some sort of go for it i think you understand what happened a little bit better than i i don't know i feel like to understand would be like to somehow understand the world that we live in and I definitely don't understand that (laughs) but oh go ahead oh so it's a Cronenberg movie based off of a Don DeLillo book now I'm somewhat familiar with Cronenberg films um but I am probably more familiar with Don DeLillo because I've read several of his books um White Noise and Underworld being the two that I can speak to probably the most um so that like star pairing of a fantastic postmodern author and a like very modern and all over the place director yeah and insanely just clinically brilliant i don't know (laughs) that literally just popped out of my mouth it's like there's just like clinically brilliant so maybe I'll start with like <laughs> this very brief summary. And then if that seems to connect with how you think, what is it? DeLillo, mm-hmm. um, his, his storytelling and what, what you've encountered with his novels. I mean, so basically the, the main character <clears throat> is Eric Michael Packer. He's like, you know, a young, a young tech capitalist. Mm-hmm. Um, the, almost the entire movie is a series of conversations in this specially outfitted white stretch limo. (laughs) Um, Not white for long. No, not white for long. Um, And essentially it's a a series of conversations that take place with different people inside this limo. um, And he's in the limo because he's decided that he's got to get a haircut and even though he could have anyone come to him at any time 
we learn later he does have a connection to a barber, but basically it's just really important. He wants to go across town, even though it's the worst possible day. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of there's lots of interior and exterior stuff going on in this movie. So there are all these conversations that he's having with different people about different things, and at the same time, literally outside the limo, it's sort of all unfolding that you know. The president is 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 in town, and it's it just you know it implied that it's New York, or maybe mm-hmm. it's stated that it's New York. The president is is in town. There's just there there are riots, mm-hmm. but he's but no, he wants to rot, take the stretch limo and mm-hmm. go and get his haircut. Um, I'll stop there. <laughs> I don't know if there's anything in there that like kind of taps into the Delilo way of storytelling. Well. Uh, it's it's interesting that like, he does have very like most of the movie happens inside this limo where yep. he's talking to his <clears throat> tech guy and his stock guy and he's talking and he like his... a doctor comes and visits him and examines his prostate while a girlfriend or a woman who works for him is sitting in the limo. But he does have a wife who never sets foot in the limo. Yes. She only, he leaves the limo to go talk to her. And he's always in pursuit of her. Right. And she's always uh, in pursuit, meaning like he wants to have sex with her. Yes. And she's like, no, not now. And it's, it's unclear. It feels like they've been married for a little while and they've never had sex. Or maybe I think they did, but they've only been married for a few weeks. And it, yeah, it's certainly not a any sort of traditional marriage. No. Right? And I don't think it's a love match either. No. no. Billions marrying billions. Right. Yeah. So there's three specific instances where he is not, he leaves the confines of the limo, which we, I, I guess, are meant to... Uh, think along the, the lines of that being where business happens, right? Um, when he goes into the barbershop, which is near the end, um, when he leaves to meet his wife for lunch, breakfast or lunch. And it's not even really meeting her. Like he he has these... In one instance, it's it's a chance encounter. He's like literally in his limo, mm-hmm. and she's in a cab next to, right beside him. Right. He gets out, gets in the cab, takes her to the breakfast. Oh, right. And right. then when they have lunch, you know, he seeks her out. He finds her in this bookstore that she loves. So he's always mm-hmm. he's he's going out and retrieving her from these places that she would seems like clearly preferred to be <laughs> right and without him <laughs> yeah uh yeah and then he goes in the barber shop at the end and visits a person who apparently knew his parents yep and then the third place that he or the fourth place i guess that he goes outside of the limo is into this well he had already left the limo but he chases basically paul giamatti up into this old abandoned building where Paul Giamatti is living but is also like Paul Giamatti is trying to kill him yes and there's there's one point at the beginning of the movie or towards the 
beginning of the movie anyways. Um, <laughs> where we kind of look out the window and Paul Giamatti's at an ATM. I only kind of, noticed that the second time. Well, that's what I was wondering, that I saw him that time and I was kind of looking for him, but I didn't see him anywhere else. I didn't see him anywhere else either. Okay. Um, so we know he's around and also, okay, so some of the side characters. Let's see. There's the security guard. I actually had, I wrote down all the oh, names. great. But, okay, and the security guard's name is Torval. Torval. And then the cybersecurity mm-hmm. expert is is played by Jay Baruchel. I never know how to pronounce his last name. Mm. Um, there is now. This is the character's name, Michael Chin. He's more of the young, like watching the money, right? You right, know, watching right. the, the money guy. There's the his the art dealer. I guess she's an art. De- you know, mm-hmm. I guess that's like her primary thing. Art dealer. Played by Juliette Binoche. Yeah. And then I just did, I did like workout lady. There's some, there's some lady that works for him mm-hmm. that he basically ushers like, hey, you need to be meeting me. And she's got to like run her ass off. And then she ends up, you know, in this limo with him. Mm-hmm. Do you want and, and sitting across from him, that's when he's getting his prostate palpitated. Yeah, he gets so so Eric, this character, Eric Michael Packer, he he gets he gets a doctor visit every day. Like he literally is seen by a doctor every single day. Gross. And on this particular one, he's like you said, he's getting the prostate exam in a limo. Uh but it's also a very like sexually charged thing. And okay, so he has sex with the art dealer and then he gets his prostate examined with um what is, what is the the running lady uh her name is Jane Jane Melman yeah we die Jane on weekends we die every day is what he says um so that that is a very heightened, uh, like very sexualized scene, and his wife, very soon after, is like, "I smell sex all over you." One of the best and worst lines in the whole movie is he's he she confronts him about this a couple of different times that they meet, but the first time he's like, you know, that's this you smell the sex I want to be having with you. <laughs> And then he kind of does it again later when they meet. We've just seen him, like in the scene before, He he's in his limo and he's like eating these peanuts. Uh-huh. And then she's like, you know, I really hate to keep bringing this up, but it's just like, it's the smell again. And she's like, and he's like, you're just smelling my peanuts. <laughs> there are some of these sort of just, just coldly, darkly comic <laughs> lines yeah. in the movie. But not f- like... That is very, to me, that's very Don DeLillo, where it's <laughs> like, you have to laugh because it's so weird, but also so real. 
Talk a little bit about that author and, and his okay. book. So this, oh gosh. So White Noise is, oh, uh, it was about like a family. And this is already, I can already tell that it's going to go downhill. <laughs> <laughs> it's about a family. Yeah, it's, it's about a family. White Noise. You know what? Uh, yeah. They're screwed. Um, well, but they are, there's a lot of things things that happen just like in this movie there's a lot of things that happen but over it's about you know the american family and being an american family to some extent but it's also like about i think i read derrida at the same time like the sign and the signify like they, oh. he and some other guy oh he's a professor but he and some other guy go to visit the most photographed barn in America. And so everybody, like, it's famous for all the photographs that's been taken of it. And they talk about how, like, well, does the barn even exist? Or is, do we know only the, the, uh, replicas of the barn do we know the thing by the thing itself or do we know it by the pictures of it or the pictures you take of it and um oh. so how like basically how everything in america is fake right right um and then over top of there's a lot of conversations about like the grocery stores and the shelving and it's very much a like taking America's um, taking America's lack of depth mm. to task. Um, so like, okay, I keep trying to get to this, but over the overriding energy of the whole book is that like two towns away, there something exploded, and there is what they call what the book calls an airborne toxic event hmm. and so hmm. there which is where the name of the band came from um and they're not sure if the wind is gonna blow the airborne toxic event their way or if it's gonna blow it another way or if it's just gonna dissipate or if it's gonna like kill everybody in its path wow. and so that to me was very similar, like this sort of simmering anxiety that there's something going on in the background. We're not quite sure what it is. It's always something to be a little bit afraid of. Mm -hmm. In this book, it's both the GM, or not this book, this movie, it's both Giamatti's character. Who Does he have a name? Well, he has two names. He wants to be known as Benno Levin, but there's a suggestion oh. that his actual name is different, like Richard something. And I meant to look up Benno Levin and see if that had a, a particular meaning, and mm. I didn't get around to it. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things in this, one of one of the, there's so many, there's so many little subplots. Mm-hmm. So. In the entire movie, while while Robert Pattinson is is in his soundproofed mm, mm-hmm. white stretch limo, 
which is is lined with cork it's been dismantled right. and then the interior lined with cork to soundproof mm-hmm. and the, he called called the process proosting and I looked it up and I was like, I didn't find, like, I wondered if it was some reference to like Marcel Proust, but okay. I don't really know enough about Marcel Proust to know what the significance of that would be. But at any, at any rate, he's in the soundproof limo and they're just, there, there are these, just a series of things that are going on outside the limo. You know, he's in New York City. He's mm-hmm. trying to get to this haircut that he he doesn't even need and certainly doesn't need to travel in completely suboptimal conditions in his white stretch limo to get to. Mm-hmm. Um, the president is in town, so everything is clogged. I mean, the impression that I had the first time I watched this is like the sh- the, the limo is almost like a shark. It seems like it's moving very slowly, mm-hmm. sort of, you know, just sort of like preying on its environment um there are literally riots in the streets there is some movement um where like the the people are throwing dead rats Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. like the rat the rat becomes this sort of symbol for everything that is like rotten mm-hmm. about society, about the economy, um, there's lots of financial um, events, like kind of global events taking place. And he, at the same time, Packer, like he's got billions, right? Right. He is playing really dangerous games. Um, um, with this currency called the yuan. I don't even know if that's yeah. a real, is that a real currency? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> where like, you know, really, really hedging his bets, like really sticking himself mm-hmm. out there and risking a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, w- one of the themes that keeps coming up is that sort of like people like him, to, to gain or to lose enormously, it's like it's the same thing because yeah. it's like a big game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, sorry, I lost it. The There's also, I think what he's trading in is something that was pretty... Um, big at the time is still pretty big um the forex market which is like the foreign exchange market yeah and so if you you're basically betting on one currency or another to dive and that was really interesting to me like um how All of this is like it's nobody wins, right? Nobody. So um, there's a point near the end, right before he goes to the barber. He's getting out of the limo, and uh, oh gosh, there's a, we we totally forgot about the like. Uh, musician that dies. Okay, yeah. So, do you want to like maybe do like 
run down the order of the conversations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll Just, be good. So really the so so Jay Barry Shell is is his uh cybersecurity expert. Um the next conversation is with Michael Chin, his like really the guy who's watching the markets. Mm-hmm. And what I found in these conversations, like he has these individual conversations with men and with women, all of them have very distinct roles. Mm-hmm. Like they they play a specific role. And it seems like in his conversations with especially the first two men who are younger, I mean, they're just like these young, mm-hmm. you know, tech hotshots, hot exactly. And they always express fear, like like Packer will ask them a question and they express fear. It's like, I, I could answer your question, but anything I say is pretty much going to make me look like a moron. Mm-hmm. Like you're going to see me as shallow and... You know, whereas with the women, the women that he has conversations with, with exception, seem a little, seem more in charge. Mm -hmm. And they're the ones asking him the questions. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the conversation with uh, his art dealer, he's wanting to buy like an entire chapel. Yeah, with 15 paintings inside. Yeah, and just... You know, it's a one example of, of just his excess. Like yeah. anything he wants, he can have. And he, he doesn't see any kind of ethical or moral qualms, right. you know, about anything. Um, there's also his chief of theory. He is a chief of theory. Yeah. And there's <laughs> just... She's re- so funny. I mean, that... But I feel like that conversation, it was probably the most abstract Mm -hmm. but kind of captured everything about like uh what does she say something like you know um time 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 used to create money time used to be used to create money but now sort of like money is in charge Mm -hmm. money Mm -hmm. is now in charge of time uh Time is a corporate asset now. Something will happen soon to... I can't read my own writing. Something, the time. Correct. She says, she says, clock time accelerated the rise of capitalism. People stopped thinking about eternity and began to concentrate on hours, measurable hours, and how to use hours to make labor more efficient. And... You know, it just it, it just really sort of gets to the core. I mean, it's very easy to say, well, capitalism is bad, right? Um, but like, you know, you know, I'm I'm I have my own business, and I have my own business just because I decided to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, and there, that's a lot of freedom. It's it's the inequality. It's how the value of things has become so perverted. Right. Right. It, that conversation is really interesting to um, at some point she says the urge to destroy is a creative <coughs> urge destroy the past make the future and then they drive by this man who has set himself on fire and she says it's not original it's an appropriation yes. and she's mad at him for um, for 
he, you know, he seems to start to feel something. And his chief of theory is like, no, it's not original. It's appropriation. You shouldn't be, uh, you shouldn't feel anything about this because it's, it's already been done. Which, I mean, to use a appropriate, the, to, to use the term appropriation in that situation is like the most hideous. I mean, it's no, you know, appropriation is never good, but to, but for that to be some sort of meaningful yeah. <laughs> example of appropriation. And what else does she, oh, you were talking, you had started to talk because one of the other conversations is, is with this. He's like, it's like the friend of this rapper. Oh, yeah. You had started mm-hmm. that. So the rapper's name is Brother Fizz. <laughs> and the the friend is Cosmo Thomas. And that is the... When, when Eric learns that Brother Fizz has died, mm-hmm. that is like the only time, except at the very end, that he shows any emotion right, in right. this movie. Until... He gets a pie in the face, and that's very soon after. So he's... What's interesting is that we're building up to, like, this... What feels like he's going to have this big emotional crisis, but he never does. Um, I don't think he ever really does either. Yeah, he just... You know, he gets out of the limo, somebody puts a pie in the face, and that, like, Eric kicks him in the balls, and then... Shoots the security guard? Yes. And he shoots the security guard uh, with this special gun. So the security guard, Torval, has a gun that it can't even be activated without a voice-operated passcode. Mm -hmm. And then there's something else that has to happen after that. Mm -hmm. But he basically gets the guy to just say the code, and then he fucking shoots him. Yeah. The code is Nancy Babbage. She, Nancy Babbage is like a singer, but it looked like maybe she only had like one album or something. Oh, I didn't dig in. I meant to dig into weird. it. This is me. Like, <laughs> um, interesting. Yeah. And what I thought was, so we were, throughout the film, we're learning about all of these threats, um, to like very powerful global financial figures like the president in town the president has been threatened the the head of the uh, international monetary fund is like stabbed on live television yeah yeah in north korea which is yeah (laughs) and then the minister of finance um oh gosh that was that was so interesting i don't know if i can find my notes on that, but it was basically like, okay, the minister of finance, like took a breath at an unusual time speaking. And now everyone is trying to dissect <laughs> what the breath meant. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, it's getting beyond grammar. It's getting into syllables. It's like, what did the paw? It was, it was, a, what, what did the pause mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's just like this ridiculous of how we like, assign meaning and value and try to interpret it in this like capitalism gone haywire mm-hmm. environment yeah all right so barber yes is the, is the next one 
Um, he sits down and has... The barber says, I've never seen such ratty hair on a human. He's got, you know, cream pie in his head. Um, in his hair. Like, apparently this barber knew his dad or his parents. And maybe even cut his dad's hair or right. something. But he used to be a taxi driver. Mm-hmm. Um... Oh, maybe Eric's dad was also a taxi driver. So, uh, really, my notes don't really make sense here, but basically the barber makes a total mess of his hair. Um, and then... Okay. So he, the barber knew his dad and then they leave and the limo, oh, he goes to the, with the limo driver to where the limos stay at night. Which seems to be a question he's always curious about. Yeah. Where do these limos go? Yeah. Where do all of these where limos go? Where do all go? of these yeah. limos go? Um, and it's like, well, they're don't you care more about the people that are all around you? Where do all the people go? No, he wants to know about the limos and the, um, so. It's like a limo currency. Limo, the limos have their own currency, mm -hmm, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but the limos basically, they get out, the limo goes underground and the driver's like, okay, see ya. Yeah. And just walks off. Yeah. And, and he's then, not exactly in the best neighborhood. <laughs> no, especially because somebody starts shooting at him. Uh, and so, and calling his name. Yeah. So he's got the gun. The barber, like, gave him a gun, basically, and said, like, I don't know why the barber gave him a gun, because he threw away the Nancy Babbage gun. Um, he goes up into the building... And Paul Giamatti's there. Mm -hmm. And it's like the rest of the movie, which is quite a bit of the movie. It's about 30 minutes. Yeah. Is Eric and... Benno. Benno. That's what he wants to be called. Right. Or Richard. Yeah. Right. Um, talking about like why Benno wants to kill him and why... Like, basically the state of all of the, you know, the whole world. Um, especially because... <sighs> everything in our lives brought us to this moment. <laughs> um, and Paul Giamatti says, I'm 41. It's a prime number but not an interesting one. And I like, <laughs> I didn't, I forgot so that line. So many things about that. Like Paul Giamatti is, I actually looked it up. He was, I think like 48 when this came out. I was going to say, out. I know he was older than that. But yeah. I was also like, come on, 41. All right. But you know what? Um, doesn't the art dealer, doesn't she also say, that she's 41 mm. or and and it's the same thing it's like no you're not because she you know that actress has been a, and she's fantastic mm -hmm. 
but they're two very different people claiming to be this age and they're clearly not that just hit me anyway um so basically paul giamatti is like why would you come up here you know that i want to kill you and basically eric is like well whatever i'm dead anyways because the yuan lost you know billions of dollars today or whatever and richard knows this because richard used to work for him yes and was a financial analyst on the bot which i think is the tie um and basically eric thinks he's faking like you don't really want to kill me because you don't really have a reason. And Richard slash Beto, Benno, um, like, <sighs> this is where I was like, what? This, this is it? This is, this is why we're here? And I think some of DeLillo's thing is that like you don't you never get satisfied because that's America. <laughs> that's like a t shirt. That's <laughs> I don't know. That's just like so perfect. Uh, and especially okay, so they talk about the morality of crime and violence and all of that sort of stuff. And like Eric puts a gun in his mouth, but then shoots through his hand instead. And he's just like there with a hole in his hand. And Ben says, why'd you do that? And he's like, my prostate's asymmetrical. <laughs> he says, so's mine. Yep. And then Eric says, what does it mean? And Giamatti's character is like, nothing. It means nothing at your age. Why worry? And I don't know. And yet he says it means nothing that your prostate is asymmetrical. It's like, so what? So is mine. You've like put way too much like value on this. You're like thinking about this way too much. But, but then he really kind of flips it because he was like, actually your prostate has been trying to teach you a lesson. You have been fixated on patterns Mm. and the minutia and the perfection of how the system works and you should have been paying attention to what was lopsided about it okay how did i miss that maybe because because i was paying attention to the minutia well because by (laughs) the end of this damn movie you're your mind is strained yeah you are completely exhausted and it's kind of you know Benno is trying to explain, he gives like a million different reasons mm-hmm. why, why he, why he needs to kill Eric. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the first is like, it's, 
I hate to say it this way, but it's kind of cliched, but all of these individual conversations and roles, they have an element of cliche to them. Mm -hmm. But he's basically like, for my life to mean something, I've got to kill you. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know. Because I want to count for something in my own life. Yes. So it's like for my, like the unit, like the, 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 the value, the assignment of value, the achievement of value for me mm-hmm. is to kill you. It's almost like it's my destiny to kill you because right. I've studied you. <sighs> and, but then he just get through the course of this last, like, like you were, it's like almost like 30 minutes at the end where it's mm-hmm. just the two of them together. And it's so excruciating at that point. But he, then he keeps naming all these individual things like, you know, the fact that you have your apartment, that you paid what you did for apart, your apartment, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for this alone, I could kill you. Mm-hmm. And there's this whole series, like the, the fact that you just, you know, that you you breathe air, or your no, your limo <laughs> is displacing air mm-hmm. that is hurting people in, in Bangladesh. You know, everything from the big to the small, he's like, for this alone, for this reason alone. But there's like so many reasons mm-hmm. that he gives, just in addition to like for my life to have meaning. <sighs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, okay. So th- at that point, I really lost steam because I wrote this alone. I wanted you to heal me, save me. I wanted you to save me. Which one of them says that? Is that Eric or is that Richard? Richard. Okay. So and, then... Yeah. And he yeah, does yeah. start to cry. Then we see... I mean, at this point, Paul Giamatti is behind him. Mm-hmm. The gun is pointed at him. Mm-hmm. You do see that that, that he starts to cry. Tears like something have started is to come. Does he shoot him? I mean, okay. So if you haven't seen the movie, we don't know. Like it cuts to black, right? Yeah, it, yeah. Part of me says, "How does he not shoot him?" Mm-hmm. He's given all the reasons. Yeah. But then, then that almost tips you to like, maybe this, just this meeting and this confrontation and these, this, your, your monologues and your, you know, you're, he's expressing himself in a way that he hasn't been able to before, even though it's all sad and horrible. Mm -hmm. And like, is, does that end up being enough? And he doesn't shoot him. I mean, it's sort of like, how could he not? Because the situation is so charged, and yet I'm left feeling like maybe he doesn't. Mm-hmm. What do you? What did you think? I don't know. I I hate endings like this because I, do I too. want the <laughs> I want the final answer. I want to know, and I. I honestly don't know. I, I love what you said about like the macro and the micro though, because it throughout the entire thing, it is asking you to take in minutia because in a movie, everything should mean something. Right. And so from the very beginning, 
I hated that I still wanted to keep watching because I was trying to figure out what the hell was going on. And that was like, okay, great storytelling, but also maddening storytelling when it turns into, you know, the sound and the fury, right? Like it means nothing. It's just that the security the sex, the financial things, all the anxiety, the simmering anxiety throughout it, the worry about whether his wife is going to be with him or not, whether all of this, like, it doesn't mean anything either because Richard kills him in the end. And then it doesn't matter that he's lost all this money or uh, that, um, you know, all of this stuff. Or it doesn't matter because Richard doesn't kill him in the end. And he goes back to his life. Yeah. With a hole in his hand. And just the idea that there's like, there's like a thousand people out there just like this guy. Mm-hmm. If you kill, I'm, this sounds very callous, but with the abstract kind of nature of this movie, I mean, I don't know. I just, anyway, it, it's kind of like, well, that's just one. One rat. One rat. There's millions more. Yeah. Uh, and even you notice when the barber was like, you have the rattiest hair. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was uh-huh. cool. <laughs> so at the in the opening, there's like sort of this Jackson Pollock, which should have been a tip, right? This sort of Jackson Pollock paint spatter opening, which felt, oh. which feels like, oh, well, if you get in the details, it looks like noise. But then when you pull back, then you you get, I don't know, an impression, right? But there's this sort of like Jackson Pollock paint spatter opening. And then some, I don't remember where the quote's from, but it says a rat became the unit of currency. Yes. And then the people are throwing rats and um, there's references to the rioters as rats, I think, at some point. Like... And Paul Giamatti basically lives like a rat. He, he lives does. in squalor. The there's a point where does Eric go in to use the bathroom? And I think they're still talking. But Giamatti comes out of the bathroom, which the bathroom is just a porta potty up in this apartment. And like my brain started going. Okay, so did he cut a hole in the floor? Yeah, he cut some hole because he said this hole connects to this other hole. And then even Eric Mm. says something about like something about holes and they've written books about holes. That felt like sexual. Oh, yeah. And then the other guy was like, they've written books about shit too, you know? God. I mean, there's so this diet, I mean, I, I don't know who else could get away. I don't like to say it this way, but it's like nobody else could get away with this with this dialogue and this script. Mm-hmm. Because if if this was a low budget movie, you mean Cronenberg? Yeah, Cronenberg. Okay, okay, okay. If this was a now, it was based on it was based on a yeah. novel. 
But if this was a low, what I kept thinking, if this was a low budget movie and people were talking like this, it, it, it's like, it's like, like porn where everything is just like flat. The dialogue is flat, right. emotionless, and it's all like on the nose, like, you know, saying thing, you know, just like making these just broad sweeping statements about capitalism and time and money. And mm -hmm. it's just like, how could, nobody else could get away with this. Like, it, it's almost like it had to be this way. This movie had to be this way. Right. Is. How did Cosmopolis do? I was curious. Audience rating summary of 36 ratings on Google is a 3.5. I mean, I think it's a good movie. It's just a difficult movie. 66% on Rotten Tomatoes. I guess that's kind of like considered average on that site, right? Yeah. But it's out of 187. It was just barely beaten out by Hocus Pocus 2, which uh, has a 68%. Hocus Pocus 2? Yeah, I don't know. Or do you mean the first one? Because no, two it says just... Hocus... Well, this is streaming movies. Oh, okay, okay. Um, okay. The tomato meter is 66% and the audience score is 31% for 25 thousand over 25,000 ratings which doesn't surprise me like I didn't love this movie I didn't I didn't love it either um but I I mean it was it asked a lot it asked a lot of the viewer and even though that was difficult, I mean, I felt like the things that they said in that movie, that this was just 10 years ago. It could be made today. Mm -hmm. I mean, it could it, it could absolutely be made today. There's one of the lines that Paul Giamatti has at the end. He's like, I'm helpless in a system that makes no sense to me. And I just... I, that just gives me mm -hmm. the wrong kind of goosebumps. Right. You know, where it's like, you are not valued by a system that you don't value. But you're going to lose. I mean, you're probably going to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, Which isn't, doesn't that sort of tie in with the, with um, Eric's playing in the financial markets? Right? He's he's gonna lose. He doesn't value their money. Um and they don't give a shit about him. Mm -hmm. Um overall, what's your feeling? I will watch it again. I'll 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 watch it again. It may be a little bit, but I've mm -hmm. been wanting to write about some of these, some mm -hmm. of these themes, like um, what the when he's talking with his chief of theory, yeah. and Samantha Morton. Oh my God, the, I adore she her. Is great. She is so wonderful. 
But she said, you know, at the beginning she talked about like, you know, wealth is now for its own sake. Like money has lost its narrative quality. (laughs) Um, and, And when she talks, there's like this commonality between anarchists and capitalists uh, with a common theme being that the urge to destroy is seen as a creative urge. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I had just come across, like, there's actually, like, these, like, pretty famous capitalist principles about creative destruction. Mm-hmm. And I just, I get very fascinated by that. I get very fascinated by just how how this system works, how it's constantly manipulated by a small number of people to ring every possible scent at every possible point Mm -hmm. um and you know and the rich keep getting richer and you know it's it's that going back to like it's not that capitalism the rich rich keep getting richard they keep getting richard (laughs) (laughs) or benno yeah or benno but just it's 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 the gap you know it's the it's yeah. the income. It's it's the gap that things are so skewed. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we. I don't know if we talked about it or not, but one of the. I, I will just say this briefly because I, I know we're like kind of doing our concluding comments, but just there's this constant idea of like the assignment of value mm-hmm. and the units of value large and down to the very small mm-hmm. like the bot <laughs> yeah the the or getting your hair cut or you know um um what what meal you eat um and there's value on these very large levels and these very small levels mm-hmm. on these like impersonal levels but personal levels and it just I had read this um actually this there's a guy named Eric Reese who like was one of the founders of the lean startup Mm -hmm. movement and one of something he wrote in actually his I think it was his first book it's just called the lean startup it made me I've become very fixated on the word value and like what it really means because like we live in America so value is like Walmart it's like you know, price, you know, it's a pennies of savings or what, it, you know, right. it's just the word. Blue light special. Yes, exactly. The word has become very cheapened. But one of the things he says, especially with like innovation and companies and whether they succeed or fail, he's like, you know, value is, is really tied to like civilization's most precious resource, which is the time and the talent and the energy and creativity of its people. Mm. And that is not something to be squandered, mm-hmm. you know, and you have that all of us individuals striving against these systems that are just so much bigger than us and that are controlled by a very small number of people. Mm-hmm. And people are trying, to, we're all trying to be creative and successful and have meaning within that right but yet outside of it too because it also feels like it it can it controls your life in ways you don't even realize and yet it feels like something so separate from you Mm -hmm. that it almost doesn't matter which i think is kind Mm -hmm. of the the recurring themes of this in the movie right right what did you what would you watch it again (sighs) maybe like in a couple of years or something i think i would read the book (laughs) I would like to read the book too. Ooh, book club. Ooh. 
That's like a horrible book club. Yeah. <laughs> That's a horrible first book. For but I feel like, I feel like for me, I want to sit back and be taken for an emotional ride. And this is so detached on purpose. Well, that is very spot on. That there are very few moments that are either surprising or have emotional weight that you specifically, like the tension with his wife. That is incredibly tense. Okay, when he gets his prostate examined, but that's more awkward. Um, But then, you know, when he has the outburst, uh, the guy hits him in the face, right, with the pie. When he has that outburst or when he shoots his own hand uh, with Richard Benno, those things feel out of place. Because everything else is just like this low simmering anxiety and you like you're almost trained to feel nothing because it at that point you have so many details that don't fit together that everything does mean nothing. Yes. And I know that that's the feeling that I'm supposed to get, but it makes me feel icky and I don't want it. (laughs) You know when you when you're reading like a really good book Mm -hmm. and you know I've got your little highlighter out and it's like sometimes it's just every sentence Mm -hmm. yes yes Mm -hmm. yes yes and that's how all of the dialogue in this movie felt where like everything was a you know like the sentence that you would highlight in a paragraph it just it's so distilled but it that is part of that like you said that detachment like it's like what would be an emotional ride where there is no emotion (laughs) right and and maybe that's it is that everything and like okay to some extent this character is not that much of a a departure from edward in twilight <laughs> because edward everything he says is so meaningful and so deliberate and yeah. it's you know the deepest um the deepest expression of love or jealousy or whatever Gravitas, everything everything yeah is everything gravitas. is just dripping with meaning and I can see Cronenberg having either seen that or the casting director or whatever, having seen him in that and was like, this guy can do serious and he can do it for a full two hours mm-hmm. to the point where nobody likes him. Nobody wants, like, when... When Richard is maybe going to shoot him, it's kind of like, yeah, please do. But you know what? I had a little bit of a... I had like more like apathy toward him. Mm-hmm. I There were even times that I kind of liked him, mm-hmm. you know, but I don't know that I ever disliked him. I think it was just sort of like, you're just, you're this thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just this you mono, you're monolithic thing. Yeah. Um, 
Cool. Capitalist horror. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's a real life. <laughs> right. Yeah, and like, honestly, this movie probably made me more uncomfortable than The Night House. Like, Night House had some moments that scared me, but this movie, like, and I, sure, that's the purpose of it, right? (laughs) Is to heighten that anxiety so that, enough so that we notice it Mm -hmm. and also notice all the other feelings. Thanks, I hate it. But, <laughs> like... Thank you, I hate it. Signed, <laughs> Tamara. <Yeah. laughs> Never come back. Um, but I... Yeah, like... See, here's the thing, though. <laughs> when we sit and talk about these movies and the meanings behind... Like, when I get, got up from this, I was like, I hate it. I'm like, I never, I don't even really want to talk about this, <laughs> which is part of why it took us so long to, <laughs> to... Well, and I really did want to watch it, and I kept ha- canceling heaven, and I think part of it, I mean, part of it truly was schedule. Yeah. But I think it was, even tonight when we sat down at these microphones, I thought, and we were already both so tired, I was like, I don't know how I'm even going to be able to, like, have this conversation. <laughs> right, right, right. But we did. Yeah. Look. Look at us. We and did we it again. Even, we might even read the book. I know. See, Honestly. we are final girls because we survived this film. <laughs> we survived yeah. this film, and you all survived us talking about right. it. And I actually hope that you guys watch this. But, you know, I think you can already tell, don't, don't be prepared, like, be prepared for, like, not a feel-good experience. (laughs) Right. And, like, (sighs) sorry, I'm still looking at this spot in my, uh, in my notes where Richard Benno says, violence needs a burden and a purpose mm. and that's not really true like this movie has violence without a burden or a purpose all over the place and I I don't know I'll be I'll be really interested I don't know where I was going with that I'll be really interested to you know hear what other people think yeah about this same here like who else has seen it and mm-hmm. yeah let us know please right. let us know at we've all survived another day another episode another <laughs> 36 hours to vacation right. and counting right. yeah uh oh yeah when this comes out uh i will be on the island of hawaii that sounds lovely. Yeah. Actually, it'll probably come out just before my dad starts the run. So, great. Yay. Awesome. Go, Steve. <laughs> Actually, it'll be like 3 o'clock in the morning when this comes out, but it doesn't matter. Whatever. Uh, thanks, Final Final Girl. Thanks, Final Girl. All right. Y'all stay safe out there. Yeah. Bye. Bye. 
Hey, final girls, final boys, and final non-binaries. Tamara and I are honored to be your dear Abbies of horror, but that's all we are. People struggling just like you. We're not professionals. If you're in crisis, please reach out. We like to pr promote the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at suicidepreventionlifeline.org, phone number 1-800-273-8255. There's an online chat, and they're even on Twitter. Their profile is The Lifeline, and the handle is at 800-273-TALK. The Lifeline isn't just for life-threatening situations. It's free and confidential support for anyone who needs it at any time for any reason. Just know you're not alone. Tam and I wouldn't be doing this podcast if we hadn't been there, too. Take care.